Hello, I'm Jacqueline Hellier and you're listening to The Tantric Lounge where we talk sex, science and spirituality. And today we're going to be looking at why humans are so sexy. Because, you know, we can have an awful lot of sex and we have an awful lot of sex, very, very different to other species. So I thought we'd have a look at how we evolved and why we've come to be so damn sexy. What do you think, Samia? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, humans are a very sexy bunch. Oh, we are, we are. But before we get into that, what's oh, yes. the latest on Planet Jacqueline, the uh, thinking woman's sex coach? The thinking woman's sex coach, the thinking person's sex coach. thinking person's sex coach. Man or woman, it's good for all of us. Well, oh yes, busy as ever. I'm having quite a lot of fun planning the Tantric Lounge Goes Tropical. Next April, we're going to be heading over to Bali, Indonesia for a week or so of some beautiful experiences. Um, not Bali specifically, though. It's that island I'm just I'm not off- sure yet. Oh, you're not sure? Not okay. sure yet, yes. I'm trying to identify the perfect space. Okay, so it might well be Gilead. Could be Gilead, could be Bali, but yes. Either one. Yes. I personally loathe tropical paradises. I find them totally dull, but other people seem to like them. Well, you've never been to the Tantric Lounge on a tropical farm, <laughs> have you, Xavier? That's true. Yes, and the, the other thing, while mm. we're having a little bicker here, is I'm hoping that the uh, next series of e-books will be out shortly. The current series, which has been out for a few weeks, is selling quite nicely, and we're all ready to go with the second series, the couples series, as soon as Xavier has finished editing. Oh, well, and while so we're having we a, going with this, While Xavier? we're having a little bicker, I might remind you that if you actually wrote them faster I could have edited them faster but let's not go there right let's now let's not go there right now otherwise our <laughs> listeners might think that we're not getting on right now but we might not be but let's keep up <laughs> the, the front rest assured <laughs> listeners they, they say between grit and teeth that surely there will be even more ebooks available for your learning and perusal and personal growth and development because this is what this is all about is it not sure exactly and this week's topic Mm. why are humans so sexy sex and human evolution so let's get right into it Mm. why are humans so sexy because our babies are born too early right go on Yes. Now, people probably don't link babies being born early with humans being very sexual, okay, but it's very important, so stay with me as I explain this rather strange link. Okay, so humans have very huge brains, right, which means we have very big skulls, which makes it quite difficult for a baby human to get out a human birth canal, as any woman who has delivered vaginally will tell you, it's a little bit of an ordeal. And the bigger the head, the harder it is. So as we evolved these ever-increasingly large brains and therefore skulls, it was necessary for babies to be born increasingly early. How big were you? Oh, I don't know. You don't know how much you weighed? No, I don't think so. I think I was fairly average. I was 11 and a half pounds. That's huge. Yeah, five, almost five kilos. Your poor mother. <laughs> well, there are so many reasons. She's still she's still holding it against me. Maybe that's why she dies. It'd be hard to forget an experience like that. Anyway, back to humans in general. Um, so, um, so unlike other mammal species, okay. So if you look at other mammals, other animals, usually the the um, the young can either toddle along behind their mothers. Right, so think about, for instance, baby horses, baby sheep and cows and stuff. Okay, they can sort of toddle along. They can feed themselves pretty easily. Um, pretty early on. Yeah, a bit wobbly like, in the beginning, but they're walking within 
an hour a few, or so. Uh, yeah. A few minutes of birds. Yes, or minutes even. Yeah. Um, other species, you know, like, say, bears and lions and tigers who have a, a little cats and dogs even, you know, the babies will stay safe in the, in the den while the mother goes off and finds food and brings it back, mm. right? That's another option. Um, and then you have uh, animals like, like monkeys and so forth where the ba- and koalas where the babies cling on to their, to their mothers, Okay, or, or in the case of koalas and other Australian marsupials, they hang around in the pouch for a long time. In fact, the, it's interesting you should bring up the marsupials because mm. animals like the kangaroo, for those of you who don't know, are actually also born very, very early. In fact, the, uh, the baby kangaroo is, a, is an embryo virtually. Mm. Yes. But in spite of the fact that it's almost completely undeveloped, it still manages to climb up outside of the vagina, yes. right up into the, into into the, the pouch. pouch, falls in yes. and finds its own nipple. Yes suck on mm-hmm. for the next few weeks while it grow, spends the rest of its time growing yes. inside the pouch, Yes, which is amazing. It is amazing. Which means you don't need to have a big brain to find a tit. No. But obviously humans need their big brains to help a whole bunch of other things besides finding teats. Well, yes, because, in fact, a baby can't just find a teat on its own. It can't crawl up its mummy's tummy to find a teat. It actually has to be held there, right? So the thing is is that human infants are born incredibly pathetically useless. They can't do a thing. They can't even hold up their own heads, okay? So for human parents to raise their young to a viable age when they can survive takes an awful lot of attention. An investment. It's a huge investment to raise a human infant, okay? And if we look at, you know, the hundreds of thousands of years of human evolution, back in those days, you know, we were living in, in, in small groups who would wander around and so forth. And for humans to survive, it was absolutely essential that the young survived, now that makes sense. If the young don't survive long enough to breed, there would be there's no, no next generation. There's no next generation. There's no human species. Okay. Now, so back in those days, there was no single mother benefit. Okay, it was impossible for a single mother to raise a child on her own. Yes, e- yes. Um, ancient Ethiopia wasn't handing out um, little no. Cards or, or no. what is it? No food vouchers. No food vouchers for their <laughs> no. for the supermarket. For single no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay, so it was absolutely vital that the adults cooperated to be able to raise the children. It took a tribe to raise a it child. It took a child tribe to raise a child. Yes, and so so how did people do that? All right, by cooperating. They did it by cooperating, by helping each other. And one very good way to want to cooperate and help people is to have sex with them. Because sex feels good and you associate those good feelings with that person and therefore you'll want to hang around that person more. Therefore, you'll want to cooperate with them more. Therefore, if you're going to cooperate with them about a whole bunch of stuff, you'll be cooperating Mm -hmm. with them about raising children. Nicely put. It's the oxytocin effect. Ah, What's oxytocin? So oxytocin is one of the hormones that's released when people are having sex or when they're being physically affectionate with each other. Now, I want to stress here that when I say sex, have sex, I'm not just talking about intercourse. I'm not just talking about the act of penis in vagina. I'm actually talking about being physically affectionate with each other. And that's about touch and connection and kissing and all sorts of things. It's not just about penis in vagina. Okay. A lot of people maintain that... Mm sex is only for procreation. Mm. This argument that you're making is almost there. You're actually saying that human sexuality evolved Mm. 
as part of the procreative act. But this takes the idea to another level. Yes. It's not just the fertilization no. part of procreation, which a lot of people argue. Sex yes. should only be for conceiving yes. the kids. Yes. It should be, be for anything else. Mm. But what you're saying is that mm. the whole sex dynamic yes. is part of a bigger conception of what procreation is. Yes. It's not just about conceiving a child. It's about raising a child to a viable age. And it's about getting people to feel nice about each other. Yes. So that they will be willing to do it. Yes. Does this explain the seven-year itch? <laughs> Potentially. But that's a different topic. We'll get there. We may get there. Okay. All right, but going. what I want to focus on now is the positives. Okay. okay? Let's talk about okay. So, see, the thing about... Human sexuality, and also if we look at our, our closest neighbours, the chimpanzees and bonobos and so forth, all right, they are very, very physically affectionate. They spend a lot of time touching each other and they have a lot of sex with each other. Now, there is some argument that early humans may have actually been quite um, polyamorous and that they may have had sex with, you know, other members of the group and not just with um, their, their one partner. But if it takes a tribe to raise a child, mm. makes sense. Yes. Now, I don't want to argue that particularly in today's topic, but whether people, and there is benefits to pair bonding. We're certainly pair bonding creatures. We come together to help raise children and having sex with each other is part of that. So as part of our reproductive strategy, which you so rightly describe as being much more than just the procreative element, it's also about... The, the sustaining and the raising element, okay? So we can think of this in terms of yin and yang as well. Right? As you know, I'm very fond of talking about things in terms of yin and yang. So the procreative element, which is the, the bonking side of things, has a lot of yang elements to it, okay? There is that, that, that rising of intensity and, and the, uh, the hormones that are associated with the that. The kindling of the fire, to allude to last week's program. Yeah, well, and the burning of the fire as well, you know, like getting the, getting the desire happening and the excitement. That's the, that's the yang element of it. And that will result in orgasms that are procreative in nature. And there are yang hormones, of course. Yes. What are the yang so hormones? So the dopamine, that's the drive. That's the driving hormone, the, the wanting, the yearning hormone. Okay, mm -hmm. it's sometimes called the romance hormone because that's what makes you feel the desire and want to make love with your partner. And then that stimulates the production of testosterone, which more, is more of a lust hormone, right? So I, I call those more the yang ones because they're, they're more intense, they're more fiery, they're more about, yes, I want, I want. Okay. So dopamine inspires and testosterone mm. conspires. <laughs> You're so good with words. <laughs> then you have... And, and that's more about the procreative side of things. But then you have the, the yin hormones, which is your oxytocins and your vasopressins and your endorphins and so forth. And they're more about the bonding and the connecting and the feeling good about each other, right? So bonding oxytocin. Mm. Mm. And vasopressin is sometimes called the uh, chivalry hormone. Oh, what's, well, how does vasopressin does, make does men, men chivalrous? Well, because it makes them want to care for women. And ah. be nice to women and so forth, ah. right? Which is very different to the the testosterone, which is makes them want to sort of like ravish them and fuck them and stuff, which is good too, right? Mm. But if you just have that and you don't have the chivalry, right? Again, it's yang without yin, and we need to have both. And also, we should make a warning here that we're mm. not being um, overly simplistic about this. We're mm. not saying that the hormone causes the feeling no. or the feeling causes the hormone, mm. but the two arise mutually together. They do. That the hormone can be considered just as much as an expression of something that's going on spiritually mm -hmm. 
as it could also inspire a spiritual direction in thinking and in feeling and in energetics. Yes. It's not a simple one causing the other relationship. No. Right. So yes. that's just, just before anybody accuses us of being overly materialistic here. Yes. No, but we, sometimes we need to be a little bit simple to get across ideas and so okay. forth. Yes. So the key thing to understand here is that there is the yin and the yang element of human sexuality, right? And that this is a very important part of ourselves as humans. This is how we evolved. Now, these days, we don't need to necessarily have lots of oxytocin-type relationships with the with the parent of our child because, you know, we do have social security and we do have ability to, you know, borrow people or whatever to help us raise our children. But if you are choosing to be in a monogamous relationship with your partner over the long term, it's absolutely essential that you use this that's within us to focus on the oxytocin effect and to focus on the yin elements of sexuality and lovemaking. Right? The nice, goody-feely stuff as opposed to just the rumpy-pumpy. Yeah, exactly. And this is the tantric approach as well. Right? The tantric approach doesn't say that rumpy-pumpy is bad. It's saying that you have to explore this side of things as well. Right? And when couples understand that, then they can start actually making love. And the making of love is the releasing of oxytocin. Okay. Mm. So there are also endorphins involved in this. Mm-hmm. So what's the endorphin? The endorphins about? make you feel good. So they're the feel-goods. They're the feel-good ones. And, you know, I have a belief, and I have never seen any scientific research done on this, but I think that when people um, regularly feel endorphins, when they regularly feel pleasure, and I'm not talking about force-fed pleasure. I'm not talking about the instantaneous gratification that too many people in the modern West think of as pleasure. I will stuff myself full of some very sweet confection or I will flick a switch and immediately be entertained or, or turned on or whatever it happens to be. Or I'll spend a lot of money and instantly get something that makes me feel good because that's transitory, all right? That's more the dopamine thing and you get this build up. But then when it's done, mm, It's like all spark, no fire. Yeah. And no warm, burning embers either. No, no. It's like everything's kindling. Yes. And when people approach pleasure, because we all desire pleasure, we're designed for pleasure. But if we do it in that instant gratification, easy gratification way, it becomes quite addictive, right? And if you're only focusing on the yang side of sex. On the spark and on the kindling. Yeah, like I've got to have an orgasm, I've got to have the intensity. You'll always get that drop off and then you seek more and then that drops off. So you seek more. And over time, you start flooding your, your system with this dopamine and you don't have the receptors anymore. And so you can't get the satisfaction. So the tantric approach to sex is to recognize, yes, the spark is good, the kindling is good, mm. but if you don't take time to stoke the coals mm. and to get those nice warm embers happening mm. so that you can have the long afterglow, I'm really stretching the, yes. the, the metaphor here, are. but it's working, it's working. It's you're not going to get the full potential of sexuality. No. See, what you want to do scientifically is you want to have a constant stream of releasing the positive hormones. You don't want a sudden flood of them and then they disappear because our bodies can't cope with that. It, fuck, it's, it stuffs up the, the hormone receptors and so forth. 
Okay, we want the steady stream. We want that steady stream of oxytocin so that we're feeling good and yummy about our partners and the other people who we're close to. And we want to be having that regular you know, touch and sexual satisfaction, the low-key sexual satisfaction, which keeps the endorphins going. And then we're training our body to regularly and easily release the good hormones and to keep them going. The rumpy pumpy is there to get us to the warm and fuzzy. Mm, it's part of the warm and fuzzy. Right. Yeah. And I'm, some people do have an approach which says we shouldn't be doing the rumpy pumpy and that we shouldn't be having orgasms and so forth. Personally, I don't agree with that. Um, but maybe one day I'll interview someone who does have that approach and I'll be curious to hear what they have to say. But I see it as a balance of the yin and the yang and that you need to have the, the yin, the connection as the underlying part of what you're doing. And then out of that, out of that, you can really get some really positive quality rumpy pumpy or more intense more yang kind of well let's go and have a good time out of it which can result in lots of orgasms if that's what you want to do okay but it's about this lovely balance and the problem is in the west is we lost sight of the yin side of things and became very obsessed that partly because of you know this cultural conditioning for many many years that sex was only about reproduction okay so we need to get both together but let's continue with that after our break Welcome back to our show today at the Tantric Lounge about why humans are so sexy. Yes. We're looking at evolution and bonding, really. Mm. Not bondage, but bonding. <laughs> we'll do bondage another day. We'll do bondage, bondage is another day. <laughs> Given that um, humans need to bring up babies for mm. a while mm. and need sex in order to feel good about each other in order to do that for long enough, mm. it also stands to reason that when women are selecting their mates, mm. they will have all of this ticking at the back of their mind because their investment in bringing up a child is biologically unfair. <laughs> For a start, the man spends <laughs> 30 seconds, if that. Hopefully a bit longer. Yeah, hopefully a bit longer. <laughs> With a boy in his You point. haven't been paying attention, have you? <laughs> I'm just talking about the sheer mechanics part. Right, okay. If we're talking about sheer mechanics, we're talking about seconds as opposed to at least nine months, followed mm. by all of that breastfeeding, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. which could go on for years. Mm. So women have a, a high stakes in selecting the right men and will select them for different reasons. Well, they will, and this is kind of what's interesting, and uh, I'd love to go into this a little bit more because really if you think about it biologically, it would make sense for women to have several partners. The, the ones that she chooses to provide the genes for her children might not necessarily be the right ones to help her raise her children. And there's some really interesting studies done on existing hunter-gatherer type societies, which probably are the closest to what was happening when we were raising children and stuff. And, and basically, there's a, these are societies that don't necessarily have agriculture or not strongly agricultural based. So they don't have this concept of possession, okay, because until agriculture started happening, humans didn't really have this concept of possession. So they, they were much freer and there weren't as many people around. So they didn't have to be competitive and aggressive and the idea of owning each other didn't happen. And if they were territorial, they were territorial about a range mm. rather than about a particular plot of land yes. that had to then be protected and mm. then you needed armies to protect that plot of land yes. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, but what's interesting about this is that they often have quite different approaches to the whole 
um, mating and pair bonding and who was the closest to raising the children and so forth. So sometimes it wouldn't necessarily be the father that had the greatest influence on the children. It would be the uncles, her brothers, Right. This is very true also in Polynesian societies. Yeah, yeah, yes, as, a, as we, an We'd invite New Zealanders listening in to maybe comment about this because I think mm. the Maoris also had this the general yes. Polynesian pattern well, that the, the, the brothers of the mother mm. were a much more key figure in the raising of the children than the biological fathers of the children. Yes, and this is quite common in a lot of different cultures around the world. It's really interesting that they have different approaches and it's not our nuclear family thing that the father and the mother stay together and primarily raise the children. I mean, and we certainly know in plenty of cultures the grandparents have a huge influence and so forth as well. So when we look at this, we can certainly see that that the nuclear family approach is not necessarily the normal or the natural approach, Um, which is not to say that we shouldn't be in monogamous nuclear family type situations these days. But I do believe it's important that we realise that that's not necessarily natural and therefore should be easy. For those of you who can't see Jacqueline, and nobody can except me, (laughs) she's doing the inverted commas with the fingers thing. Oh, for the natural. When she talks about Mm. natural. Mm. Um, Yes. The... However, mm. I could argue from a male point of view, it also oh. makes ma- it makes sense to for the man mm. biologically mm-hmm. to have as many um, female partners as possible mm-hmm. in order to spread the seed in order to maximise chances of reproductive success. Ah, can I call you on that? Because men Feel have been free. getting away with that crap for far too long. And in fact, there, there is a there is a question here that oh, is, that? is, oh, okay. that's, that's, is that's that where that came that's from? Okay. <laughs> Brenda from Chicago asks, I was in an abusive relationship with a serial cheater. He convinced me that it was because he was a man, inverted commas, and had a natural urge Mm. to sow his seed. I believed him at the time, even though I hated it. I like your version much better. Mm. Yes. So the sowing the seed approach, i.e. spreading one's sperm as far as possible, across the ecosystem is not a human reproductive strategy. Humans would not have survived to conquer the world in the way that we had if prehistoric men spent all their time wandering around fucking women and leaving them to bring the children up on their own. As we've just explained, human infants are far too pathetic and dependent for a single woman in the old days to be able to do that. But I would argue then... Would you? Yes, (laughs) I would argue then that they're not leaving the women on their own. In these traditional societies, they're mm. letting their, the brothers of the mother bring up their, their biological children while they mm. stay at home with their sisters bringing up the biological children of other men. Well, quite possibly, but in which case they're probably not spending a lot of time screwing around because they're busy bringing up their nieces and nephews. Oh, touche. Touche, yes. Either so, way, it's a mixed strategy. It's a, it doesn't mean it's not an excuse for cheating. It's, it's not. In that, in that sense. No, no. In fact, I'd like to say that the spreading the seed approach to reproduction tends to be practised by lesser animals such as amphibians and reptiles. And I do think that men who adopt this approach probably are quite reptilian in their attitudes. Yes, Yes, and I would argue, though, that it's probably more complex than that. It probably needs a bit of both. Well, look, you could well be right there. And I suspect that in the early days there was more uh, spreading of seed than we generally accept these days. Although, actually, if you look at how many how many relationships there is infidelity and so forth it's extremely high and when we look at other animals that are supposedly p- 
pair bonding um, and you look at the genetics of the children, it's clear that mummy, you know, Mrs. Vole or whatever has actually been visiting the neighbours and Mr. Vole isn't necessarily the father of their, their children, right, even though he brings them up as his own. And quite possibly he's been, you know, parent fathering children with, you know, Mrs. Vol next door. Okay. So, um, and, you know, it does make sense. And it's probably what happened. Either way, whatever the biological mm-hmm. swings and roundabouts mm. or the, the, the cost-benefit analysis, mm. it's still not an excuse no. to be a dickhead. No, it's not an excuse to be a dickhead. And can I just point out that if the guys are doing this, then the women are doing this too. So it's not an excuse for the women to be dickheads either. No, like if the men are going around spreading their seeds, well, then the women are going around having seeds being spread inside them. And that's interesting too, because if you look at the shape of the penis, it appears to be designed, because it is an unusual shape, it appears to be designed to actually draw out pre-existing sperm. And to replace it with its own. Now, if humans evolved with a penis designed to draw out existing sperm inside a vagina, it does imply that there may have been multiple males going in, you know, ejaculating inside a single vagina. I'm going to take out the chimpanzee card and talk about mm-hmm. swamping. Mm-hmm. You know about swamping? Explain. Swamping is where you have um, some animals like chimpanzees mm-hmm. with very large testicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is that the female uh, chimpanzee mm. is quite promiscuous yes. by human standards. Mm. But in order to counter that, the male chimpanzee produces an enormous amount of sperm mm-hmm. so that any previous right, sperm that's yes. in that womb gets totally swamped, swamped yep. by other sperm. Yes. Other, and other primates like gorillas have mm. actually very small testicles yes. because they tend to form harems. Yes. So there's no need for the male gorilla to swamp. To swamp. Mm. Human being, human testicles are somewhere in the in mid-range. In the mid-range. Yes. So as usual, people want the best of both worlds. Yes, yeah. And it's really interesting. I mean, this stuff is absolutely fascinating. I was reading um, just recently, it's in this wonderful new book that's come out, What Women Want, um, and it talks about these studies that have been done on the bonobos. I think it was bonobos or was it the chimpanzees? can't remember. Probably both. Oh, no, no, no. It was a different, it was a different, um, different monkey species. But um, what it was finding was that when... When these monkeys were put, were put in large enclosures, which most clo- closely replicated the wild, it was actually the females that would initiate sex. And it was the guys, that, the males that were lying around. And a woman would check it. The women were going around checking them out and choosing which ones they wanted to bonk. And they were doing quite a lot of that. And the, the guys, the males were sort of a bit more on the receptive side. But when they put them in a small enclosure, right, it turned around. And it was like all the pheromones or something that built up turned the guy turned the males a bit sex crazy, and they started becoming highly sexed and would would you know att- virtually attack the females um, a lot. Okay, so I find this really interesting in modern society, and I think this is partly where it started going a bit wrong, because at a certain stage in human history, uh, we started becoming very possessive. Ah, you're implying that crowding leads mm. to aggression or certainly aggressive sex. Well, yes, I suspect that what happens is if you put males and females in very close proximity to each other for long periods of time, it overstimulates male sex drive. So cities are bad for good sex. Well, possibly living in a little house together in this, um, you know, the way that we tend to live these days. And given that a lot of men have a lot of trouble 
because they have over, you know, much stronger sex drives than their women necessarily have, right? And, and that turns off the woman and over-sexualizes the man. Whereas if they have a little bit more space, then she can kind of look at him and go, oh, I like you. And he doesn't have this urgency to have sex with her all the time. I know, I just thought that was interesting. It is, and we seem to have struck a chord with, with Sylvia from Tulsa in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. How can you say these things, question mark, exclamation mark? The <laughs> Bible clearly oh, no. states, yes, the Bible clearly states that, <laughs> God made, that God made man and woman for each other, for marriage, for a lifetime. Maybe some primitives and animals still do practice infidelity, but anyone who knows God knows deep in their soul that he intends us to be faithful. I don't think Sylvia has heard us. Let's explain this again. <laughs> yes. We're actually saying that human sexuality and sex evolved to keep people together. Yes. To keep people faithful. Yes. At least until the seven-year itch, which I want to go back to. <laughs> well, it made, doesn't it make sense, though, that mm. if, you're going to be, if you're going to be bonking and bonding mm-hmm. until the child is more or less viable, yes. that viability usually happens unless the kid is really badly brought up. They mm. can usually go to the refrigerator and get something to eat for themselves by the time that they're seven. Mm. Yes, but Which, what if you have more than one child? Then it just keeps going on, doesn't it? just it? keeps going. And if you space your children out widely enough, <laughs> you could have 30 years of fidelity based on the seven years. Yes. And so what I want Four to Four children space seven years apart will give you 28 years of <laughs> biological was... fidelity. So what I want to point out to, is it Sylvia? Yeah, Sylvia. Our God-loving listener. And, you know, that's great. I, I appreciate your views there, Sylvia. And, but the point I want to make is, is that we need to accept that... And if you start focusing on, your, um, on the yin side of things, on getting your oxytocin connecting, then you're much more likely to be able to stay faithful. Okay. Hmm. Are we being asked to take a break? I'm not sure. All right, we'll just keep going. Um, <laughs> Tina from Sydney. Yes. Hello, we've been clients of yours and done all your workshops and retreats and our love life has completely changed from what it used to be. <laughs> yes. I used to hate sex. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, but now before I got married was, um, wait a minute, I've just lost my place. Mm. We are, uh, where are we? Tina from Sydney. Hello. We've been clients of yours and done all your workshops and retreats and our love life has completely changed from what it used to be. I used to hate sex and only did it as a duty. Before I got married, I was a wild thing who was very promiscuous. That's interesting that mm. she was promiscuous, but she hated sex. I now think love, she means she hated sex after she got married, isn't that what she Now said? our love making is beautiful and varied. Understanding yin and yang of sex has really helped us change and opened up to amazing possibilities. I want to encourage everyone to change the way they make love and, and to actually make love. That's a nice observation. Yes. Thank you, Tina. And I think that might be a pseudonym. <laughs> but, uh, yes, no, it's interesting because some... The, the idea of being promiscuous, because I do meet a lot of women who are quite promiscuous, and then when they get married, they find that they lose interest in sex completely, right? And that's partly because they're focusing on the yang side, right? So it's much easier to be um, excited by sex with lots of different partners and new partners, women just as much as men, okay? But that's that more that reproductive side of things, Right? So if you want to stay with someone for a long period of time, generally that doesn't apply. Right? People get bored, particularly women get bored with the same partner over and over 
and over again doing the same old same old and without any of the good yummy stuff in between to keep you connected right so in the long term as Tina's pointing out you need to be able to combine the yin and the yang you've got to do the bonding stuff plus you need to do some more interesting activities as well that's to get the dopamine going so that you actually enjoy the sex and want the sex Otherwise, it's just all going to go horribly wrong. Oh, it just gets bored. You know, I keep talking about how dysfunctional women are sexually. No, mostly they're just bored. Women are actually very sexual creatures who need quite a lot of interest and stimulation to be to get in the mood. And it's quite possible, just like those monkeys in that experiment, that, you know, if the guy's coming on too strong because they're living in too close proximity and she doesn't have a chance to sort of step back and kind of look around her and go, yes, I do like you, even if it's the same person over and over again, if she doesn't have the space in her life and if they're not relating in a way that makes her want to go, yeah, I like you, I want to make love to you, then she's not going to like it. Just having this guy jump on top of her regularly and go oomph, 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 well, you know, turn me off baby. I can't tell you the number of times I have women come to see me in my clinic and they say, I don't like sex. Yeah, what's wrong with me? I don't like sex. And I get them to describe their sex life. And I just say to them, you know, I wouldn't like sex either if that was my experience of sex. I would not have an orgasm. I would not want it. I would not enjoy it because what you're doing is boring. Which is why possibly a lot of people are listening in and wondering whether or not Tantra is going to improve their lives i have a quick question now before we go to break okay uh bill from maui oh mm. hawaii when my new partner said she was into tantra i thought she was in some kind of some kind of space cadet who wanted to have boring <laughs> sex how wrong was i as you put it it was all yang going for the big intense passion at orgasms now we've added yin it's a completely different experience yes because when you start exploring the yin side of sex as well <clears throat> what you'll get is not the Um, localised sexual intensity in the genitals that leads to sort of an outward explosive type of orgasm, right, which is what um, an ejaculation or a clitoral orgasm tends to be like. And what you'll start feeling is inside yourself, you're going to be getting a more ecstatic kind of sensation that flows through your whole body, right? And the practices that we're doing will get the endorphins flowing, those feel-good hormones going you'll even get the opioids which is sort of the mind altering kind of experience um hormones these are the naturally occurring naturally occurring like yes. that are similar but not the same as morphine and heroin yes. flowing through your body yes and it brings on a sense of ecstasy and bliss and i believe that humans, which is why people take drugs well it is because i think humans have a natural need and desire for these ecstatic blissful type sensations yes for pleasure for pleasure and because we don't teach people how to create these experiences naturally using our amazingly glorious bodies they go and you know get drunk take drugs and and do all sorts of terrible things which actually damage the body right and you can't do in the long term so when you start understanding more of these tantric approach the slow sex the loving conscious mindful sex you'll start having very different experiences and you'll be releasing different kinds of hormones right and hormones that will last and make you keep you feeling good over the longer term which is why it also has long-term benefits like bringing up children well bring up children but also keeping you healthy and vital and looking good and feeling good so there are all these counter benefits there's so many benefits it's ridiculous like if we understood if we could bottle it 
we can bottle it, but we haven't bottled it. We have it inside our bodies. It's right here, ready to access at any moment. And we'll be accessing more of it after the break. We will, because I'm going to be working on starting to circulate some of this sexual energy inside. Welcome back to the Tantric Lounge. Uh, before we get to the usual exercise and practical point of yes. our uh, program, we have another couple of questions. Oh, more? Okay. Yes, yes, we've right. stimulated a lot of debate out there in the world. Um, Tony <laughs> love from, to stimulate. Yes, debate. I'm sure you do. Uh, Tony from Geelong. Um, mm. That's near Melbourne in Australia. I want to explore right, the yin. I want to explore the yin side of things, but right. it's my wife who's resistant. Oh, this mm. is unusual. No, it's she, not. It's very common. <laughs> it sounds unusual to me. She wants to have quick sex late at night under the covers, generally at times of the month when her hormones are making her feel horny, or at mm. least that's how she puts it. Yes. And since she's a nurse, she claims to be the expert on all things physical. <laughs> when I try to add some sensual elements and actually make love, she's very resistant or just puts up with it. I've never got the sense of her losing herself in the experience. It's all about having an orgasm and rolling over and going to sleep. I guess that isn't a very bonding thing for Tony or his wife. No. They seem to be talking different sexual languages. Yes. Any advice for Tony? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I imagine that with, for his wife, um, if she doesn't sort of, get that this is even possible, then she won't even know what he's talking about, okay? I mean, they sound like um, a couple I've been working with for a while. Well, she pulled out of it and he's kept diligently going along with it. You mean along with what? Oh, so like the sex therapy, the therapy and, and right. coming and talking and learning okay. and so forth because he says that he, he feels quite alone in his marriage and it's been very excited to meet someone who kind of gets it because he has always intuitively understood that there's a lot more to sex and wanting to explore and have beautiful experiences, all right? Now, it seems that his wife thinks that when he talks about doing anything more than just, well, basically, you know, what this Tony chap's been doing with his wife, she thinks he wants to do something really kind of crazy and out there. And So what happens with somebody like Tony who mm. is in this position where... You're saying that it's not uncommon for the woman to be totally closed off, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. What, what's his solution when you have had, for example, clients in the past where? Well, perseverance can help, right? And for him to take the lead in creating a lovely environment and saying to her, look, just, just come and join me and we'll just sit quietly and we'll have a nice chat and just let me stroke you and we'll do some breathing exercises. It could also be a baby steps situation. Baby steps, Absolutely. Because it sounds as if he is persevering. We don't know. That's the problem with these emails. We don't know whether no, we, we don't, we know, don't the know the full story. But yeah. It might well be that he's coming on too strong and he just needs to introduce one mm. small solution at a time. Yes. Patience, Tony. Patience. But the patience of a saint, perhaps. You need the patience <laughs> of a saint sometimes, yes. This sort of thing. But mm. the rewards may well be worth it. They are. And look, I have to say, doing this work yourself can make a difference as well. I mean, in my marriage, um, my ex-husband wasn't particularly into all this spiritual stuff as well, you know, but uh, I don't know why he wondered why we had such good sex and so forth. But I did the work on myself. So, you know, we were having wonderful times. So, so maybe I didn't part need of, to tell him we were doing Tantra. So maybe part of the solution for Tony is to work on himself yes. and let the mountain come to Muhammad, so yes. to speak. Yes, definitely. 
Phil from Albuquerque in New Mexico, I like the way you stress that it's cooperation that has made humans so successful as a species. We're so often about how it's competition that drives human and therefore evolution. Mm. Maybe that's all part of the patriarchal worldview that has been so much part of a culture. I like the idea of experiencing sex as cooperation rather than competition too. Mm. That's a rather nice idea, the idea that, to, that, that we're all in this together. Yes. That a couple in a sexual context are creating something mm. rather than mm. having something or doing something, something. Yeah. to each other. Mm. Yes, it is about creating something because, you know, if we think about the fact that it's our big brains that caused this in the first place that have led us to need to have ongoing good quality sex, it's our big brains that have also enabled us to have good quality ongoing sex because we have creativity. And as far as I know, we're the only animals that fantasise about sex. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, never, I've never interviewed a chimpanzee or a dolphin and say, hey, do you ever think about it? Yeah. But the thing is, is that, you know, we can create lovely experiences. We can think about how am I going to decorate my bedroom? You know, where are we going to go away for a holiday? What lovely things can we do to each other? Maybe we should extend this rather than just sex, science and spirituality. We should mm. also talk about the art of sex. Well, it could be the tantric lounge, the art of sex. Mm. Well, it's something to think well, about. the art and science of sex. The art and science of sex. Well, there we go. There we go. Right. And now, naming it. And now, and now in terms of practicing the art, you yes. have an exercise for us. I do. I do. And in this one, we're going to continue what we've been working up to because the previous four shows have all been working up to this. So please go back and listen to the last part of each of the previous shows if you haven't already done so. Right. So we've experienced the, con the feeling of being present. We've been learning how to breathe deeper into our torsos, down into our bellies to have fuller and smoother and longer breaths. And we have been working our pelvic floor muscles. And then last week we started using our pelvic floor muscles and our breath to draw this feeling of energy up our spines. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do a full circuit. And this is called the microcosmic circuit. And it comes from the Taoist approach to sexuality, which is like the Chinese version of Tantra. Um, <clears throat> so, so don't do this if you're driving or operating heavy machinery. <laughs> you can come back and listen later. So for those of you that aren't driving or operating heavy machinery or are otherwise highly distracted, so we need to sit comfortably. You can sit cross-legged if on the floor if you find that comfortable, but you can equally sit in a comfortable chair or lie down or even stand up, whatever's working for you. All right. So first of all, let's just sink into our bodies and let's start breathing deep into our torsos. And I'd like to encourage you on the in-breath to expand your bellies so that you're filling up from the bottom up. And really feeling up the whole of your torso. And as you breathe like this, you'll probably find that your spine straightens more. And then on the out breath, you're just collapsing from your tummy and your chest. And just slowly allowing all the air to flow out. And then again, you breathe in by expanding your belly and allowing the breath to fill yourself up from deep in your torso and up through your torso. So this is way more than just breathing from your chest. And then again, allowing the breath to flow out and it is very slow and this pace that I'm setting here as you now breathe in again is actually the pace at which you can sink into a very deep space within yourself okay 
So it's about six seconds in and then six seconds out in that lovely flow. And in an earlier show, I actually gave you a link to downloading some music that goes ding every six seconds. All right. If that's too, too slow for you at the moment, that's fine. Just go at a pace that works for you. And if at any time you're starting to feel like you're getting a bit spacey or dizzy, just go back to your normal breath. Okay, so now let's squeeze our pelvic floor a little bit. The muscles down down below as though you're trying to stop the urine flowing. Okay. Now what I want you to do is imagine that that deep in your torso here, down in your sexual center, in your womb space, that there is an energy there and you can visualize it as a fire, as static electricity, as a gem, a flower, whatever works for you. All right, and squeezing those muscles and you can feel that that energy is kind of just building up a little bit. It doesn't have to feel like sexual arousal. And now squeeze your muscles and draw it. Draw. Imagine that you can feel that energy drawing up, up, up as you're breathing in. You're drawing it all the way up your spine, right up to the top of your head. You'll feel it going all the way up, 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 and then up to your neck and then right over to the top of your head. All right. And that's the feeling of the drawing it all the way up. Now, I just want you to put your tongue at the top of your mouth, at the soft palate there, just behind the top palate, this is important, on the out breath, okay? So as you breathe out, your tongue's touching the top there and you're just allowing it to flow out and feel, have a sensation of that energy just going right down your front and settling back in your belly just below your belly button. So let's do just three cycles of that. So just squeeze a little bit, just gently, and draw it up by squeezing your muscles and allowing your breath to carry it all the way up the back, up your spine, and then over the front on the out breath and down. Just allowing the energy to settle, to flow down your front, to settle into your lower belly. And again, you're going to breathe in and squeeze and pump that energy up your spine, feeling it draw up, 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 up your spine, and then over the top and down the front, letting it settle down into your belly. And one more time, you're going to breathe in and draw, squeeze and draw and allow. Just visualize, imagine the energy drawing up your spine, up your neck, over the top of your skull and on the out breath. Just allowing it to flow out and settle it down in your bellies. Put your hand on your lower belly and just feel the sense that this energy that you've circulated around your body is now settling down into your belly. Now, if you will take that away and practice that on your own, and if you wish, you can also add some self-stimulation to it and practice that when you're self-stimulating. But we'll go into that more next week. I think that might be next week's activity. But the most important part that people need to take away from this is that when they're breathing in, mm-hmm. the energy is traveling up the spine. Up the and spine. when they're breathing out, yes. the energy is traveling down the front of their bodies yes. and down to their belly. Yes. And so the circle is like that. It's a circle. And if you can do nine circuits, that's the traditional number. Mm. That's fantastic. Okay, mm. so that's it for this week. That is it for next week. So next week we will take that energy circulating thing further. So do practice that on your own. It's very good to have a regular spiritual practice around breath, meditation, moving energy and so forth. And we look forward to hearing from you by email or by phone if you like. Yes. At and the Tantric Lounge. See you next week. 